As a technologist, I wanted to, uh, uh, the person who was here before, I, I, I think it was Josh, mentioned the uh, Mac to PC ratio. And as a technologist, I'm always observing some of these things. And I think yesterday, we, our ratio was more like six to one. I think today, we're a little bit lower than that. But I noticed so many of them are also running uh, Windows, uh, uh, the Macs that are running Windows. Um, I want to take uh, two seconds out of my talk just to thank uh, a couple of people, Catherine and Brianna, who, uh, who have been very involved in making sure this event uh, would run the way that it has, and also to Martin and Steve, who keep coming up here and helping everybody's uh, production. So they give 110 efforts. <laughs> And they make things a lot easier for us. Uh, one other piece of uh, another announcement, the round tables that are set to happen during the lunch break. Um, what we're going to do is have those uh, two of them in this room and the rest in the room across the way. Uh, room, room number is 107. I, I forget the room number, but it's right across the way. And if we can have the music and international affairs, one in this room and the others in the other space, that would be great. Informal meetings, if we can just generate some discussions around some of those topics. The people whose names are on the agenda will kind of uh, be around and identify themselves as we get those started. Um, so uh, the, the title of this uh, session is uh, Best Practices at the Intersection of Technology and Education. I did a Google search for that. I got almost a million hits. So I said everything's been said. Um, <laughs> So uh, another thing uh, that I decided to do that's going to be a little different is that rather than, uh, and partly because of all the planning for the conference, I didn't get, get a chance to do a lot of picking of slides that I wanted to, or images that I want to have behind me as, uh, as I talk. I just figured I'd let Google choose for me. So let me start with the, the, uh, uh, the, the center. Uh, and one of the things that I like to do when we think about the future of technology is kind of just take a step back. Um, it gives me a uh, really a, a chance to have a more solid run up before we take some of those leaps of extrapolation, and and this way, um, you know, we can get a better sense of where we might head. Um, when Frank Moretti and I started the center in in late 1998, um, there was a land rush at the university. Uh, it was a time when there were a lot of media initiatives and. Some of these were brought out already in the, at the center, and uh, these initiatives included places like Fathom, included places like the Center for New Media uh, at the Journalism School, led by John Pavlik here on the, on the bottom. So Google does a fairly good job at picking the things that I wanted. Um, Morningside Ventures, uh, it included a group uh, that became Digital Knowledge Ventures, um, a center that was part of the arts. Now, uh, what the, the reason for that is uh, that I bring all these things up is in 1998, there was a lot of competition for our, the faculty interest. And what we're talking about here, what I'm trying to talk about is the work that we do at the center, which is directly with the faculty and trying to get them to use technology in a purposeful way. And that competition was, was very strong then. Even our own bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble in 1998, was sending emails to all of our faculty saying that, and I quote, they can create a website that delivers course content and facilitates communication between you and your students. Barnes & Noble um, is, uh, was promising a simple interface and five minutes to get the job done. Um, 
we had an outfit called streetmap.com that developed a, a site called Course Notes. Um, and they actually used Provost Alan Brinkley's course as a sample site. Now this would be three years before we actually launched our own uh, CourseWorks uh, course management system at Columbia. Uh, I think that's very interesting. Even more interesting is that, and Eric uh, brought that up, uh, that by the time that got launched, most of those centers that I mentioned no longer lived, uh, uh, were no longer at the university. Um, the, oops, um, the, in, in late 1998, another piece of news was that we had a dial-up modem pool. Now, most, most people may not remember that, but that was a critical piece of infrastructure for the university, heavily utilized. The university IT department released a <coughs> statement that fall in 1998 that by the end of September we would have 506 56k modems. By in, also in 1998 we were using uh, blue and white G3s from a company that was about to disintegrate at that time. Uh, everybody was thinking that Apple was no longer going to uh, exist. Uh, we were using machines that were clock speeds of about 256 megahertz and 256 megabytes was considered ample. Some of us used laptops even then instead of using a, a desktop unit, but if we wanted to connect one of these things to one of these projectors, we would have to pay over $7,000 or so, and if we wanted a portable projector, we had to carry a big bag. A, a big issue in the 1998 in terms of privacy was the finger debate. Um, now, some of you may not know what finger is on the Unix uh, environment, but it was a, a, a system not very dissimilar from the way on IM you can keep track of your buddies. Uh, at that time, the, the issue was that finger might be used as a way to stalk somebody. And so that was a big debate. Uh, the, the outcome was that uh, you had to end up, you had to opt in into the system. And so TAs, teaching assistants, had to identify themselves uh, and, and opt in so their charges uh, could, be, uh, could find them in the <coughs> student labs. Around the same time, in 1998, um, the DMCA was signed, October 28, 1998. Similarly, mo notes from uh, a university senate meeting that I, that I attended uh, around that, that I, I wrote in my notes here in November, uh, I had a, a chance to speak to some of the folks from the Senate meeting and I explained to them what spam was. Um, and it was becoming a problem. And that was the understatement, understatement of the year. In late 1998, we also received a real media G2 server, uh, which was making streaming video reality. It was hard to, rec it's hard to recreate that excitement that we felt at that time. Uh, we had been able to stream the audio fairly well. Uh, in fact, uh, I had worked out a deal with the WBAR uh, Barnard College radio station uh, to stream their audio feed and complement their very puny uh, FM transmitter they had. Uh, all of these uh, audio feeds were working okay, but video was a new, new, new place for us. Now with the G2 server, we could send uh, video streams that were viewable by those 56K modems uh, and they were postage stamp size, but they were fabulous for us at that time. Um, it wasn't really until 2000 that we utilized that system uh, in a large scale, and that's when we ended up uh, doing the commencement exercises in, in uh, that year. 
This is pictures from that same, uh, same uh, day. Well, what have we learned about technology and education in those eight years? And we've gone through a lot, a lot of the staff that's here, uh, uh, you know, we've worked on a lot of different projects uh, uh, and issues with faculty, but we've learned uh, a few things. And let me highlight three of them that I think are very important. That is that the first one is that we have to ask a lot of questions and listen to the faculty's interested outcomes. Uh, what is it that they're trying to get students to learn? And, and we really try to hammer that home with our staff as much as we can. Um, another thing that we learned is that we need a lot of time for brainstorming and allowing discussions to bloom. There seems to be, or there is always a tendency, especially when dealing with technology, to jump very quickly at familiar solutions. And so we have to always leave room for extended discussion. Um, and just from the few things that I mentioned there, um, in, in recalling the, um, the, the 1998 is that we also have to understand that today's technology will soon wilt under the constant change that, uh, that we see today. Um, for example, we certainly would not have had this kind of conference in 1998. No way. Um, what kind of conference will we have in 2015? I would like to make two other points about the intersection of uh, technology and education. Uh, first, at that intersection of technology and education, I think we find now a open market, uh, an open street market. Many products on the banners of web services, Web 2.0, uh, we got some good ones here. The one on the, on the bottom here says, uh, Web 2.0 isn't a thing, it's a state of mind. Um, we have all these things at our disposal. We have Google, YouTube, Flickr, Delicious, Wikispaces, Typepad. Well, what's interesting is so many of these services fit a constructivist agenda, and that makes our mouths water. Um, you take a look at the, at the offerings just in the area of web editing. Um, and here's an article from TechCrunch, which some of you may be familiar with. And here's a summary of uh, some of the things that now are available for you to edit video online. Cuts, iSpot, Jump Cut. They even have a little graphic here uh, to tell you which ones uh, do what kind of services. Um, and again, this has been an area that's typically been reserved for people who use Final Cut Pro or iMovie. Um, next to those same open market stands are the open source folks, and you know there are quite a quite a number of interesting tools there as well. Uh, just bring up uh, some of those. Uh, we should hit a penguin somewhere along the way there. But we have WordPress, Drupal, Moodle, cornucopia of options. But I have, I have to say that we have to ca be cautious about that marketplace because near all these uh, uh, stands is the university's IT stand. And they seem to be lacking in some of these alternatives. And for us who work inside the university and are not part of the university's IT uh, mission, this is very important. Um, and I think for those IT departments who have led the way so often at the universities, um, it, it is going to be a, a difficult matter. Uh, you look at the steps that schools like Arizona State have, have taken. They moved their email, calendar, and iChat all over to, uh, to Google. Um, so as the options to the university become more and more plentiful and more attractive, and more students and faculty move off campus for their technology support, Will universities become 
protectionist. They have FERPA rules. They have all these, we have all these things that we have to deal with. Or will IT departments decide a better path and become integrators, adopting initiatives like OpenID and, folks, and, and opening up their, their own data uh, sources to, uh, and exposing them for our own internal mashups? We don't know. But I think what we do know is that the pace and scale outside the universities is no match for what the internal <coughs> IT departments can do now. Second point, um, at, the, at that same intersection of technology and, and education, we also find the students. Um, when I ran into a quote from Thomas Friedman's book, The World is Flat, he says the following, students also have to fundamentally reorient what they're learning and educators how they are teaching it. I felt like he was talking to us at, at the center uh, and those of us who are monitoring this intersection. Um, back to Friedman. Uh, he, he calls this for students to be great collaborators, to be great synthesizers, among many other things to compete in this new flat world. Uh, this is exactly our work. But I think we make one assumption that is false. Um, we, the assumption we make is that the students are literally uh, uh, technology literate enough to use their computers for education. Um, now, this is an opinion, uh, one that uh, is based on a number of observations. A colleague of ours, uh, John Zimmerman, is actually embarking on a small research project to test this hypothesis. But I typically find that our students don't know enough about how to use their computers as a tool for education, or the kind of work that I've, I've been describing. Um, I think it's no big secret that a lot of our own colleagues don't either. Um, but I think we as educators in the technology field need to make a concerted effort to help people learn how to leverage their computer use in this, in this arena. After all, the, the tool is just a way to get more and more leverage uh, for our work. Um, to close out, and, and, and really with an anecdote, um, I recently met with the coordinator of a postdoc program here at Columbia, and she's designing a number of online programs for these students, and was concerned about the students' overwhelming mastery of technology compared to her. Um, she seemed surprised when I, I explained to her that this, uh, the techno-student myth, uh, and when I asked her to really think about how much her students use their computer to collaborate, to annotate, synthesize, uh, and collate information, I, I think it gave her some pause. But I, I think she will only be convinced when she begins working with some of these students. And I hope that many of you will also uh, take that challenge and see how we can be better educators on the use of technology. Um, I'd like to stop here and move over to uh, our next speaker, which is uh, Shen, and we'll have the guys come up and, and switch over. Thank you. Thank you.